Hey fellow fraud fighters, a big welcome to the Seon Cat and Mouse Show, where we'll look to get into the mindset, thinking and learnings of the hardest working group of heroes we know, the fraud fighting professional. And on alternative shows, we'll dive into the opposite world of current or ex-fraudsters to get a real insight into what's driving them to do what they do. And ultimately, we'll be trying to best work out who's the real cat and mouse here. So a big welcome, everyone, to the Say on Cat and Mouse podcast. Um, today, we've got a really special one. We've got Alexander Hall over at Dispute Defense Consulting. And Alexander is a former fraudster turned to the good guys um, and has done for the last uh, three years. Uh, so Alexander, a very big welcome to you uh, for joining the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. Very excited. You're joining us from uh, one of my favorite places in the world uh, over in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, so thanks for uh, zooming in. Yes, sir. Uh, Lots of excitement over here. You got to come through sometime. Let's start start with this. Um, your history is particularly interesting. You recently published um, on CNP, Cardinal President Forum, uh, a couple of part history of your previous life as a fraudster. And for the audience that hasn't read that yet, uh, I found it intriguing. Uh, would you give a little bit of a summary uh, for our audience, please? Oh, sure. Yeah. So uh, for close to a decade, I did operate as a fraudster. I was effective at what I did. I never got caught for fraudulent practices and stuff like that. During the time, there was a lot of development where I pushed forward from what everyone interprets as being fraud, which is buying stolen information on, on the dark web and stuff. I, I grew into new methods new, and I authored new practices and established a pretty wide uh, and dynamic network of people here in Las Vegas. But all of that came to an end uh, in 2017 when my wife and I gave birth to our baby girl and uh, she put up the ultimatum and laid down the law saying, hey, if uh, if you're going to be a daddy and a, and a husband, it's time to it's time to clean up your act and and do all that. So it's exactly what I did. Cleaned up some some drug charges. I'm currently about to expire on probation. Yeah, I've been a, a fraud fighter uh, since mid 2018. Things are just going up and up, and uh, I'm glad to be on this side of the fence. <laughs> Congratulations on uh, your daughter's birth. Uh, that's uh, that's often a big catalyst. Um, so so welcome to this side as well. Alexander, how did you uh, start off into that world on the other side? What was the kind of origin story there? Through all the partying and all that stuff. So there's a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, and a lot of that stuff going on. Well, here in Vegas, at least, the lines between criminal fraud and drugs are are practically interwoven. You can't find a separation. So that's how I first stepped foot into the realm of fraud is other people uh, inducing me to these different licks that, that would uh, help you know, get high. That would help uh, bring bring some product into our grasp. So that's that was the first step into the fraud industry. You use the word licks, right? Yes. It was kind of like, can you expand a bit, a bit upon that? Yeah. There's so there's a few terms: licks, hustles, come ups, cash outs. Uh, there's a lot of different terms that you use to describe doing something whether it's illegal or not, doing something to benefit you. So at the end of the day, if you wanted a car, you go do a specific type of lick to get a car in your possession. Same thing with credit cards, same thing with cash, whatever it may be. It seemed like you had uh, you kind of thought about things as strategies. And then you made the interesting point that the kind of the fraud fighting industry we, we kind of come up with labels, with preset industry terms, if you like, uh, Alexander. But that there's a disconnect between what we as an industry uh, start to tag or label and then what you experienced when you were a fraudster and what you saw with other fraudsters. Can you go a bit more into what that disconnect was? Well, first off, 
to make sure that I don't discredit the work that has been done. The work that has been done to identify these different methods and and, and put these these very powerful labels on them is good work. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. However, it's it should not be considered the end all be all, and there should always be a pursuit to discover new methods. So to a monster, the thing is, is I didn't care what the name of something was. I didn't spend time behind a desk thinking, how can I describe this method that I'm employing when I rip off this insurance company, or rip off this bank? What kind of a label can I put on that? Zero time goes to marketing, at least in my operation. I know plenty of people go online and market themselves for fraud as a service and all this stuff uh, over there. I never did that. Mine was completely isolated and was completely very, 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 very tight. When I went to go develop something, it was how can I get what I'm searching for? So I'd use any method. I'd use any combination of methods. I'd use any system that could get me to that end. So it's just important to not get caught up in the terms and keep your eyes open for new potentials with methods out there. It reminds me of part of your story as well. I think it was a bit of your evolution as you got deeper and more serious and more professional about how you uh, ran your fraud business, if you like. Uh, one one thing you talked about was almost you realized you wanted to control who had access into you at that stage. So it was reducing and controlling your network uh, as well. Is that right? You were trying to not have any leaks, I think, was was one part of it. 100%. Many people want to wear the badge of being some big, bad fraudster. And it's like this this cool thing. Well, yes, it's cool to know that you can break systems of that have billions of dollars going into R&D, and I get that, but boasting about it is not worth it to, to, to take the risk, right? So through drugs and fraud and criminal activity, uh, my network started to grow and grow and grow, and eventually the it became scary to the point where like people were getting rolled on over there. People were getting busted over there, um, not directly under my umbrella, but in like similar operations that were going on. So I decided, look, I'm done with all that. I, I eliminated every single person that was a, an addict. I, I only interacted with people that were high-level drug dealers who, who had other risks at hand and only people that I, essentially I had leverage on. If, 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 if you're afraid that I can let something get, get told to one of your competitors or something like that. It's, it's just this unspoken dynamic that happens between people in the criminal underworld where if you've got leverage on me, I'm not going to hurt you and you're not going to hurt me. Shrunk down the network and uh, continued to operate. I just kept my head down. Uh, if someone hired me to come in and, and, and work with them, I, I let them be the boss and I just operated under their umbrella and just did what they asked me to do. So you, Alexander, you also mentioned that you are uh, kind of taken into other uh, teams and you know you might have a specific, uh, say, I don't know, you're, you're reporting into someone else. And how did that work? Were you known for a specific skill set then? What would happen is you'd have these low-level, street-level people going and stealing information from different places, whether that's breaking into a, a business and stealing some information or breaking into houses and stealing safes, whatever it may be. Uh, and then that information would get aggregated by these different networks. And then they'd be like, hey, Alec. What, how do we use this? What do we do? Uh, and that's when I would step in and say, well, what, what do you want? You can't just say, what can we do with information? I mean, you can, but it, it, what are you looking for? Do you want just cash? We can just utilize all this for some cash. We can do whatever. But there was really no limitations. It was really, what could we do with what we have? And I would squeeze value out of it, which is actually what helped give birth to uh, math as a payment method with the generated numbers and stuff like this. People would come across numbers that were burnt from the dark web in these batch report lists and all these different ways, and they were always worthless. Well, 
when you know how to generate numbers, they come back to life, essentially. Uh, then you just got to figure out where you can use it and apply it appropriately. How did you go about that? What was the kind of thinking from your end? Did you automate it? Did you do it manual? So at the beginning, it was manual, yes. But then you found <laughs> there's an app for that, quite literally. Type in 12 of the 16, hit generate, and now you've got a thousand card numbers that are all relevant. Whether there's car- there's cash on it or not is a different story, or a line uh, on it uh, is a different story. But as you go through, you hijack a merchant account number, you start running authorizations for a dollar. Now you can go down this entire list of 1,000 and see which ones have some funds on it before you can go uh, attempt some payments and attempt checkouts. Switching heads for a minute there, because this is something that uh, merchants do obviously pick up and complain about is when people are testing, right? And they know that it's fraudsters working through thousands of batch uh, cards, just like you've described. What's the way to kind of stop that, prevent that, pick that up? Any any suggestions? The most useful approach is to understand what information is in your system. What, what information is in your system? Understand what it all means, right? There's been a few companies that I've worked with who didn't understand the value of an AVS, who didn't understand the uh, value of an IP velocity, who didn't understand the value of IP addresses, shipping addresses, and how it could all be cross-referenced into each other. So what I tell everybody is when you see these attempts come through that might turn into fraud, blacklist that shipping address. It's more difficult for a fraudster to come up with a good shipping address than it is to come up with a new card, you know, or an email or a phone number. Any of these things can be got in a couple of seconds. It's not a big deal. But cycling through thousands of shipping addresses is is less likely. It's still possible, but it's less likely. So for example, if you have one fraudster putting in 20 orders using 20 different cards, 20 different emails, 20 different accounts, all those things. I bet he doesn't have 20 different shipping addresses to send it to unless he employs something secondary like an interception or something like that or a redirect or to stop at the post office. There's always ways. Unfortunately, there's always ways to get past. But uh, out of all the information that's available to a merchant, I would say the shipping address is where you should start, although every data point is can be leveraged heavily. Everyone can be leveraged heavily. You need to understand what's in your system and what goes into a transaction. And again, what's valuable to a fraudster, where all your transfers of value uh, are in every department. That's cool. Understand that focus of transfers of value, I think, is a, is a really good point. What I've gathered from when you summarize kind of your, your fraud experience, you classify it as uh, fixing on three things, the identity, uh, the requirements, and then the execution. Can, can you share a bit more detail about those items there? Imagine any transaction that you partake in. The person who's giving the product, right, is, is saying, who am I doing business with? What's the premise? Are they paying with cash, check, card? Is it is it credit that they've built up in-house? Whatever it may be. And then what's what's the process for executing the transaction? So now from a fraudster's perspective, it's important to understand who you are represented to the company, right? How you intend to do it and then what their requirements are. Well, in in doing this, you come up with different spectrums of each category. So for example, if you go and sign up for, uh, I don't know, an account at some low-level e-commerce store, you don't need any information to make an account on their platform, just a name, an email address, a phone number, and then verify the verify link. Easy peasy, right? Take it to the other side of the spectrum. If you want to make a bank account with a financial institution and, and establish an account there, now now you need to put in a lot more information. Uh, it's a lot more demanding and you have to have all your ducks in a row for that. So that's what the spectrum of identity looks like. Whenever it comes to the execution, you have to know what the company 
is going to ask for and how they're going to verify it. So it's all about system knowledge and then what your available information is. And that has a wide spectrum as well. You talk about these telephone order restaurants where you can call in a generated number with no expiration date, no CVV, no billing address. Uh, that's a low level. Well, the high level is going to be something I, I, I'm always impressed by Best Buy. Uh, you go to Best Buy and, and you need all of the information. It all needs to be correct and it all gets verified very well. I'm happy with their system. So that's that spectrum. And then the third one is it's how to go about doing it. So that could be anything from establishing the account all the way to receiving the shipment. So yeah, those are the three spectrums that exist and knowing what you're searching for and how it works into those three is the most important part for a fraudster. But that also lends to why a fraudster's practices are so fluid, so dynamic, so well-informed because of we've done this cat and mouse game thousands of times. We know what you're going to ask for. We know what list of variables you're going to ask for. Um, we know what you verify. You may see it as, a, the merchant may see it as a failed checkout, but in reality, we know what variables we used to check out there. So we know we need to use either the same or something different. So it's it's a lot of fluidity. To that point, you also talk about quite, quite uh, publicly that you do think there's a chasm between um, the technology used for fraud prevention and uh, the fluid methods. Can you also give a bit more detail into what that chasm is? Like, what are some of those points that you have personally experienced as, as the gap or chasm? Again, with this one, first off, it is super important, the work that's being done. Uh, the work that has been done is great work. Uh, the fraud prevention industry does amazing work. So don't get me wrong, but it's always one chasing the other. As a fraudster creates new ways to do something, you now have to identify what that way is. And then you have to automate something which takes months to put into code and automate and all this stuff. So there's a big gap. So the reason why there's this gap, at least what I've uh, assessed when I first came over here was that A, no fraud prevention platform is the end all be all for fraud prevention. They can't say that because fraud prevention is a wheel, right? Every vendor is a spoke in the wheel. Right, so you got data trend, you got data point transaction analysis, chargeback represent processing, AI, ML. You got this and this and this. All these different types of fraud prevention, but none of them is the full circle. None of them is the full wheel. None of them is the end all be all. Because of this, uh, it leaves a lot of the responsibility up to the merchants in order to determine what an effective strategy looks like for them. And in between every spoke in the wheel, there's gaps, ways that it can be interacted with, ways that social engineering can be employed in order to make it through the gaps in in your prevention strategy. It's it's really three things: a, the fluidity and dynamics of fraud, right? The fact that they'll look anywhere to get to get their end, right? Two, the fact that a lot of fraud prevention relies on automation, which relies on knowing how to identify things and then how to automate a prevention process and database building and all that stuff. And then third is knowing where fraud might come in outside of what's been identified. You got to keep your eyes open on this side of the fence uh, because the people on the other side of the fence are definitely keeping their eyes open. <laughs> yeah. Um, just uh, kind of uh, kind of rounding up on, on the chat there, I think I, I got a hint of what you might answer to this. Uh, so we, you know, our podcast itself, it's the Cat and Mouse podcast. Uh, so we're always curious when we have guests on is in the world of fraud fighter versus uh, fraudster, who do you think represents the cat and who do you think represents the mouse? I was thinking about this and I think it changes. For example, I will put in a transaction as a mouse, right? Here's a mouse. That's a transaction. That's an attempt, right? So here's my mouse. But I'm sitting back here watching the cat chase it. 
And then again, now that makes me the cat to the cat being the mouse. And then, of course, I got to see how this next transaction gets chased and how it gets caught or if it gets caught. I think it's just ever-evolving uh, Ouroboros-type situation where the snake eating itself, you know? It's just an eternal, elevated uh, exchange that goes <laughs> on there. Yeah. Brilliant. I like it. How, how can um, how can the audience who are fraud fighters, uh, um, who, who, how can they reach you? Um, and your and your advice find me on linkedin i got my personal profile on there uh feel free to reach out to me there i got dispute defense consulting on uh linkedin we're both we're on facebook my twitter handle is a hall hyphen ddc for dispute defense consulting feel free to reach out any way you want um oh you'll also see me on cnp oh and uh I have uh, the School of Fraud training modules are coming out on Tweezel. That's T-W-E-E-Z-L-E.com. Awesome. Alexander, it's been a real pleasure. Um, thanks and uh, yeah, have a great one. All right, you too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's show. At Seon, our whole startup is 100% focused on helping you, the hardworking fraud manager, fight fraud with tools that are intuitive and fully complement your existing risk tech stack. Check out our website where you can get started on a free trial and be up and running in 30 seconds or less.